This episode is sponsored by We That Are Young by Preeti Taneja, a stunning debut novel, a modern-day King Lear set in a contemporary India, the tale of a battle for power within a turbulent family, for status within a nation in a constant state of transformation, and for the love and respect of a father disappearing into dementia. In the New York Times, Parul Segal writes, Taneja is a writer of considerable energy and invention, a new chilling take on one of the oldest stories in the world. This is a big, juicy book that will totally absorb you. It's a take on financial and political power with fascinating women at its center. And of course, a Shakespeare retelling that is completely modern, unique, and feminist. Thanks again to We That Are Young by Preeti Taneja for sponsoring. This is Recommended, where we talk to interesting people about their favorite books. This week, Jane Mount picks The Phantom Tollbooth by Norton Jester, and Oyinkun Braithwaite talks Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Jane Mount is an illustrator, designer, and founder of Ideal Bookshelf, a company that makes things for people who love books. She lives on Maui in Hawaii. Her latest book, Bibliophile, an illustrated miscellany, brings literary people, places, and things to life through her signature and vibrant illustrations. I think I probably first read The Phantom Tollbooth when I was around nine, and I actually had a really excellent summer that year because I was a very shy, dorky kid, you know, not very outgoing. And my dad was an architect, and his studio was right by our local public library. And I somehow convinced him that summer, uh, my mom did not know, but I convinced him instead of taking me to daycare to drop me off at the library every morning, and then he would go to his studio and then pick me up and we'd go have lunch and then take me back to the library. And I just sat in the kids' department and read a book in the morning and a book in the afternoon. (laughs) It was the best summer ever. (laughs) And I think that's the summer probably when I first read The Phantom Tollbooth. The Phantom Tollbooth really kind of opened my eyes to the idea that I was bored because I chose to be (laughs) and that you can choose not to be bored. And that's all it takes. And once you choose not to be bored and see the world as a place that is exciting and you can learn stuff all the time from everywhere, it's completely life-changing. So I think that is really what it left me with. I don't, you know, I, I don't have a specific memory of sitting and reading it, but I was definitely branded by it. (laughs) Well, it's a story of a boy on a journey to a magical world, which, you know, is pretty much a very popular story (laughs) still today in all different formats. And he gets to make this journey into a whole land where everything is different from how he thought. And He has to figure things out and solve puzzles and finish a task. When he does, he is, in a sense, rewarded. It's a story that's hard not to like. It's a classic story, but this one is told in a way that's great, especially, I think, for kids who don't quite feel at home in their surroundings. And it sort of makes you feel not only is the whole world more magical, but that as a clever, nerdy kid, there is for sure a place for you in it. I think Milo, the main character, is very relatable. And I think also Tok, who is the watchdog, he is actually a dog with a clock set into his sides. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of puns, a lot of wordplay, a lot of math, some spelling, things to figure out. I know, and that makes it sound in a way more boring, but I promise you it's the opposite of that. So I think this book showed me that actually it's great to be smart. It's great to learn stuff. And the more you learn, you know, the better you are and the better the world is. So I think that's really what I got from the book. And I think 
all different characters he meets along, Milo meets along the way on his journey, teach him that in different ways. I have reread some other books that I loved as a kid, and they definitely did not hold up. But this one still really held up for me and really... It was. I, to be honest, I put off rereading it for a long time because I was scared. <laughs> it would not, but it totally did. I still think it's really one of the best books ever. Milo, the main character in the illustrations, is not the most attractive kid, to be honest, the way he's drawn. But somehow he perfectly comes across as, I mean, it's just really the perfect way to, to draw him. I cannot imagine him looking any other way, actually, besides how he looks in the drawing. So I think it, I've, I've read about, actually, the making of the book. And Norton Juster, the writer, had a grant to write a book about cities for kids. He was an architect and he had a grant to write a book about cities for kids and he kept trying to write it and got really bored with the topic and so ended up writing this book instead. And he lived at the time in a house in Brooklyn with roommates and one of the roommates was uh, Jules Pfeiffer, the illustrator. And when they were talking about the book, Pfeiffer offered, you know, talked about doing the illustrations and so apparently it was quite a partnership and they went back and forth a lot and Jules Pfeiffer wasn't sure he could draw the things that needed to be drawn, but they pushed and pushed and finally got it all done. And it really seems like quite a collaborative effort that I think worked out perfectly well. I never knew that until just around the anniversary a few years ago. I never realized that he, that Juster was an architect. One of the things I love most about the book is that it says that all of these things are just as valid as each other. And that you can be, if you're great, good at math, great. If you're good at writing, great. If you're good at drawing, great. And if you're good at all of them, even better. I like the idea that it's okay to be interested in and good at a bunch of things and that you don't have to specialize too much. One thing that I think is great is that it's it's a great book for smart kids to read because there's a lot of little clever wordplay and clever tricks and the ways he names things and talks things. And as you read the book and you figure them out, it makes you feel like you're accomplishing something great, makes you feel clever. It's sort of like these days, some of my favorite recent books are, I would say like Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell or Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders. And in some ways, this is the kid's version of those in that you figure things out along the way and it makes you feel smarter as you learn to actually read the book. Do you know what I mean? Thanks again to Jane Mount for joining us and recommending The Phantom Tollbooth by Norton Juster. You can find her book, Bibliophile and Illustrated Miscellany, published by Chronicle Books, wherever books are sold. You can follow her on Twitter at Jane Mount. This episode is sponsored by Aquacorn Cove, the new graphic novel by Katie O'Neill. When Lana and her father return to their seaside hometown to help clear the debris of a hurricane, Lana remembers how much she's missed the ocean and her aunt. As Lana explores the familiar beach, she discovers a colony of aquacorns, small magical seahorse-like creatures living in the coral reef. With the help of her aunt, Lana rescues an injured aquacorn and learns that the town and the coral reef are out of balance and in danger. When another storm threatens the town, Lana realizes she'll have to stand up to those she loves in order to save the aquacorns. This is a wholesome, gentle, LGBTQ-friendly graphic novel that teaches young readers all about the importance of protecting the ocean and saving the coral reef. It's from Katie O'Neill, who just won both of the Harvey and Eisner Awards for Best Graphic Novel for Kids for the Tea Dragon Society, and it is seriously adorable. Katie's illustration style is absolutely enchanting, and it's beloved among kids and adults. It features cute little seahorse-like creatures called aquacorns. It's published by Oni Press and available wherever books and comics are sold, 
but especially available at your local indie bookstore. Thanks again to Aquacorn Cove by Katie O'Neill for sponsoring this episode of Recommended. Oyinkin Braithwaite is a graduate of creative writing and law from Kingston University who lives in Lagos, Nigeria. In 2014, she was shortlisted as a top 10 spoken word artist in the Eco Poetry Slam. And in 2016, she was a finalist for the Commonwealth Short Story Prize. Her debut, My Sister, the Serial Killer, is a darkly funny novel about a Nigerian woman whose younger sister has a very inconvenient habit of killing her boyfriends. My name is Oyinka Braithwaite. I went with my favorite book in the whole wide world, which is Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. When I was 11, um, I went to boarding school in Nigeria for a year. I was, I was living in England at the time, and I went to boarding school in Nigeria for a year. And I know I already had this book because I took it with me, and then I lost it, and we had to buy it again. So I know I've, I've bought this book at least three times. I actually don't even like the edition I have now because it says... It contains 100% recycled paper and no offense to recycled paper, but it's not very pretty. It's a weird thing where I'm like, every time I go to the scenes for me that are the most epic, they still move me in the way that they did when I was a child. So I don't know what that has to say for my emotional development. But yeah, I, I, I kind of love it the way I, I, I always did. I've noticed recently that some people consider it to be a gothic, a kind of dark novel, maybe in the same sort of genre as um, um, Wuthering Heights. But I don't think I realized that until recently. I kind of just thought it was a normal sort of romance, which again, I think says a lot about my psyche, but I didn't really think it was very dark. And I just thought it was so beautiful. I fell in love with the character, which there are a couple of things about Jane Eyre that I, th- I think Jane Eyre is timeless. For me, Jane Eyre is a timeless novel. Like I don't it doesn't feel to me like something that was written, you know, a really, really long time ago. It's, it feels very present. Jane Eyre is a woman who I think is very strong. And I like the fact that she's the main character, but she isn't beautiful, which I think for books of this nature, like if you compare it to other books, you know, like the Jane Austen books, or there's a lot of emphasis on how beautiful, if you look at Thomas Hardy or Charles Dickens, like all the, the women tend to be beautiful. And I think generally in, in literature, like when women are at the, forf- at the forefront of the novel, they are very attractive, which Jane Eyre just isn't. And yet it usually that sort of thing would make me maybe alienate the reader because you already know they're not an attractive person on the outside anyway, but it doesn't do that at all. If anything, it draws us closer to her and her plight and the things she goes through. So she's someone who's not, you know, who's plain and who's poor and who doesn't have a lot of family and doesn't have a lot of friends. And yet you're still drawn to her. You're her friend. You take that place of her family, your friends, you become her friend and you, you want to cheer her on and you want the very best for her. So I became very attached to Jane Eyre and, and her plight. And I think, again, I feel like I've seen people sort of, consider her to be a weak character in terms of her personality, which I wholly disagree with. There's the scene where after she's been about to marry Mr. Rochester and and she discovers that he already has a wife and she's having to deal with this. And you know, this was this is someone who's not had a lot of love shown to her in her in her life, who's been very poor. And this man who's filthy rich 
who loves her to bits, you know, begs her to stay. And he's bargaining with her, trying to figure out a way for her to stay. Like, okay, if you know, if she can't stay with my wife, as my wife, just stay. And to be honest, I feel like in modern times, the day we are in now, you know, despite how strong a lot of us consider ourselves to be, I, I know most would fold under that kind of, in those kind of circumstances, because at the end of the day, what do you have? Like, what do you have to, if you leave where you are right now, where you've got security and you have love, it's not like you just have security, you have the security, you have the love, you know, um, Jane didn't have anything else. So the fact that she was able to walk away from him, she walked away from him um, the way she came, she, the way she met him penniless. So she almost, um, by virtue of her decision, she almost dies. She almost starves to death because she literally didn't have anywhere to go and she didn't have any money. And I think to be able to make that choice based on your morals and your principles alone is strength, is, is spectacular strength. She had a very strong faith. And, you know, there's a point where she's talking to him because it was a long, you know, this guy weeps. And, um, you know, he, he did what he did. He weeps. He wept. He wept. He wept. He wept and he, um, he, you know, and at some point she's like, he's like, okay, do you know what? Just stay, stay the way you are now. Stay as the, go- as the governess. You know, I'm not going to demand anything from you. I'll, you. You'll barely even see me. Just stay. And she's like, you know what? you say that now, but you know, having me around, she was like, she, she didn't compromise at all. She's like, look, I'm going to, you're going to tempt me. And they wanted, she didn't even mean, you know, tempt me. She wasn't, she wasn't talking sex or anything. Cause obviously this was a different time. She just meant, you know, you're going to tempt me to want to want to be with, so long as you see me, so long as I'm there, she didn't compromise. She cut him off completely. She cut herself off because obviously he's not the one that left. It was his home. She cut herself. The people who she had come to love in that environment, she wasn't able to say bye to anyone. She cut herself off completely, left with nothing. This is what I'm saying about how I feel like it's timeless because if we were to make it a modern story and we were to say, oh, you know, uh, this girl, you know, is an orphan, has no parents. She was abused by her family. She was tossed out. She was, you know, she suffered all this kind of trauma. And then she meets this guy who's, it's like, okay, it's it's like a Fifty Shades of Grey, but with trauma. So she meets this guy who's got ridiculous money. You know, he's flying her here, flying her there. Um, he's, you know, he, he, but without, again, without even the madness of the Fifty Shades of Grey guy, like with this one, the guy's got his head, you know, he's not demanding weird things from her. He just wants to love her. He just wants to be with her. And then she finds out that he's married, but the wife isn't, it's not that he's a cheat, but the wife is violent and is trying to kill her husband, right? It wasn't as if it was just some wife that he just put, to, you know, in the corner. But this is a woman who he was tricked into marrying, um, who is who has completely lost her head, who is constantly trying to kill him. Who in in today's world will probably be in some psych ward somewhere. So it's that sort of situation where it's like, okay, but Jane, he's not a bad guy. You can surely you can overlook this little hiccup that you've got going on here yeah so I mean I think for her and it was it was really a matter of faith for her because he was married the thing is it's that weird thing where I think a lot of us in life kind of have to decide 
where to draw the line because sometimes it's not clear it, it's really not clear all the time you know sometimes it's not it's not a black or white situation where you can say okay this person is a bad person or this person what they've done is wrong so to be able to like you said to be able to make that kind of really harsh decision and you know this decision is going to affect you it's it's going to affect you more than it's going to affect the person you are cutting off it's pretty impressive Thanks again to Oyin Kim Braithwaite for joining us and recommending Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte. Her novel, My Sister the Serial Killer, published by Doubleday, is now available wherever books are sold. You can follow her on Twitter at Oyin Braithwaite. Thanks for joining us for Recommended Season 3. We'll be back in February with Season 4, and until then, you can listen to all three seasons at any time in the podcatcher of your choice. Thanks again to our sponsors for making this season possible. If you like what you heard, please do take a moment to review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We love to hear your feedback, and it helps other book lovers to find the show. You can find show notes at bookriot.com slash recommended, and you can email us at recommended at bookriot.com. 